Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Message is Moving. And today we're going to speak about breaking the generational miseducation of insurance. So you think of the word insurance, you think of something that is needed, but for some it's just another expense. Unfortunately, when it comes to life, auto, and house insurances, for example, we tend to get the bare minimum to save for our short-term pockets, even though in the long run we are hurting ourselves and our loved ones. So I had to get another fellow FMU alumni on the channel, someone that has the knowledge to break down different insurances and make sure we are on point so that we can pass the proper coverage and the proper knowledge down for generations. Please welcome licensed insurance professional, Christina Jackson. Hello, hello, thank you for having me. Oh my goodness, I'm excited to be here and, and talk to you all about your insurance needs. That's right, because what we do on the channel, we make sure we address miseducation, curses, and then once we address that, not only will we have the knowledge, but we can pass down that knowledge for different generations. So I'm glad you're on to help us out with that. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Absolutely. So I kind of want to start off with life insurance, and I have some, some stats here, and then I'll ask you a question in regards to that. Okay. So per an article on Forbes, historically it was standard practice for blacks to be charged more for insurance products and to offer them small face amount burial insurance that provided little value for the premium paid. Life insurance was viewed as an expense for many generations. But recently, a new survey from Haven Life shows that 22% of blacks value life insurance as a way to pass generational wealth compared to only 8% of white respondents. And the study shows that black Americans are more likely than white Americans to have insurance. Even though that's a positive statistics, the average life insurance coverage for black Americans sit at $50,000 compared to white Americans, which is at $150,000. So my first question before I have you dive into the statistics a little bit, what made you become a licensed insurance professional? That's a great question, Nathan. And so I got into insurance in 2020. I, um, so I'm gonna go back about five years. Um, my grandmother had a stroke when she was 80, she passed at 86. So during that time in my life with my family, um, my sister was also sick. I was watching my mother deal with a lot of things and realizing how people, <clears throat> you know, black people especially, don't often plan for the future. So it made me rethink and, and readjust my thinking about what I wanted my next career move to be. You know, I was also working in the restaurant industry and it was taking a lot of my time, my energy, and I realized I need to do something else where I can be of service to people. So flash forward to 2021, I'm in insurance because 
I want to help educate our people, you know, to be better prepared for the future. And a lot of times people say, I can put that off, I can put that off, and, and it can wait to be done. But the reality is, when you're in your 20s and 30s, you have to be thinking about your future because even though you're not thinking about it or thinking, oh, well, this necessarily won't happen to me, you know, things can happen to keep you from getting insurance. Um, things, especially, let's take, for example, heart disease, diabetes. Um, you may not have that in your 20s and 30s. You may get it in your 50s, 60s, or 70s. But once you have something that's detrimental to your health, an insurance company, because they are very picky, can choose not to insure you or they can insure you. Um, so that's why I got into this industry, just because I wanted to help better educate people so they would know their options and understand that insurance, don't look at it as a bad thing. Look at it as something that's positive, something that you can use to help your children get through school. You can use it to leave people, you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars um, and also just burial insurance, um, ju just the basics. If you don't want to leave someone anything, then okay, but do you want to be buried or do you want to be cremated? And so, you know, in our culture, cremation is a bad word. <laughs> and okay. so, you know, a lot of people say, well, I want to be buried, but burials cost money. And, um, you know, you, you can speak to someone who owns a funeral home and they'll tell you, you know, the cost of funerals and, and caskets and everything else is on the rise. So it, it just, you just want people to start thinking about things differently right and to your credit you mentioned that we tend to not prepare for the future mm -hmm. so when it comes to life insurance if it was discussed in that manner how was it really discussed in your household growing up i know you mentioned sort of your grandmother but how was it discussed in terms of life insurance growing up so in my household i grew up with um a parent who was about saving money, who didn't mind talking about money. And I also had another parent who kind of shied away from money. So I really didn't learn about insurance till mainly in my 20s. I mean, my mother discussed it with me because she was the one who was more financially savvy than my father. Um, but we didn't really start discussing like insurance and, and policies until I got a little bit older. Um, just because she felt as a parent, if she didn't discuss those things with me um, as a child, how would I be prepared for that in the future? And a lot of times parents, you know, don't like to talk to their kids about that. And the conversation, you know, can be sometimes awkward. Mm -hmm. It can be one of those conversations that you don't want to have, even though it is a crucial conversation that you need to have. It is extremely uncomfortable to talk about that, especially with someone that you love. Right. So, mm -hmm. It's almost as if they might take it as in you're going to criticize the coverage they do or do not have possibly. Um, just like almost leaving wills and stuff like that, right? Like what you would leave to the estate, like you said, very crucial conversations, but to deliver that conversation, especially to older generations, I can see how that can definitely be um, pretty awkward at the dinner table, right? Yes, very. Because um, you do have a mindset still where people, um, especially we'll say um, the baby boomers, some of them still do not like to talk about insurance or if they're going to leave money. 
um, you know, to be buried or if they're even worrying about it, you know, you do have people out there who still have that mindset and, you know, who aren't worrying about it. And if something happens to them and people don't have money to bury them, then they have to figure out, well, what are we going to do? And oftentimes they have to be cremated just because people don't have the financial means to bury them. Because if, if your parent leaves this earth and they haven't discussed with you how they want their final expenses to be handled, then you have to make that decision. And if you don't talk about it prior to it happening or, you know, early on in the, you know, before the future happens, then you don't know. And if you don't know where the policy is, or if you don't know if this person has any money, and, you know, oftentimes people feel they have to take out loans to pay for funerals, and then they're stuck with, you know, $20,000 worth of debt, in addition to whatever debts they have, or if they have a mortgage or car payments. And so you want people to also be financially savvy when it comes to making these type of decisions as well. Absolutely. So now, 2021, you're a licensed insurance professional. What services do you offer exactly? So my services that I offer, um, I want to help people understand insurance. I want to help them understand um, life insurance. I also, the other products that I have are homeowners, renters, and auto insurance. So that's mainly what I deal with um, right now. Got it. So now we're going to talk about those stats I dropped earlier. Right. Okay. <laughs> so even though it is studies show that black Americans are more unlikely than white Americans have insurance, however, they tend to have less coverage. In your opinion, do you think that's more so of possibly affordability or you think that's more so the criteria of the insurance itself or why black Americans have less coverage? It's definitely the criteria. If we go back, um, Let's say if we just go back 50 years, the insurance is lined out where um, let's let's take a life insurance policy. If you smoke, if you're overweight, these can cause your premiums to be higher and then the death benefit to be less. Well, the thing is, um, a lot of people now in 2021, they're overweight. They have Mm -hmm. diabetes. um, They have heart disease or they're taking different types of medication. So. Is it is the insurance industry kind of biased? It is, yes. It, does it help certain people? Yes, it does. Um, but can black people still get insured? They can. Um, you just have to, when you're, whatever type of policy you want, whether it's whole life or term, um, I suggest to a lot of people to do a whole life policy just because it's good through, you know, till age 100. Term is only good for 10, 15, 20, or 30 years. But back to what I was saying as far as 50 years ago, um, African-Americans were not really allowed, you know, we can even go back to slavery where we weren't allowed to purchase land, um, housing, and you can even take the housing industry, even not in the housing industry, but if you think about 50 years ago, people, building homes in the suburbs up north Uh or just around the united states and who was getting loans to get those homes and build wealth white people black people were not 
allotted to get loans to move into the suburbs. And even then, the disparity in finances was still as prevalent as it is today. And so when you have a disparity in income, what can you pay for if you don't have money coming in? But also when people are strategically placing these limitations on you to keep you from being able to move ahead in life. So it's the same in the insurance industry um, because insurance is based on age. It's based on whether you're male or female. And that's how it chooses how to discriminate against you. So if you're a female and you're 20, you have no health concerns, um, you don't smoke, you know, you would get a preferred rating. And if you wanted a $350,000 policy at age 20 is the cheapest you would get it whole life or even term life to pay term life, possibly $25 a month, whole life, $220 a month. So people just have to take that into consideration. Men, um, because of the mortality rate, a 20-year-old male is going to have to pay more for a $350,000 policy um, than a female just because his premium, like I said, the female's premium might be 15 for 350. No, I said 25. 25, his mm -hmm. might be 50 or 40. And then his premium for a whole life policy could possibly be $400. But it just depends on the insurance company that is going to take on the risk and insure him or insure her. Mm. Got it. I have a question on that term life mm -hmm. aspect of it. So the whole life per context clues, I can pretty, I can kind of guess how that goes, right? Mm -hmm. But for term life, so let's say, I know you mentioned 15 years as an example, right? Right. So let's say you reach that 15 years, like is that saying this is 15 years of you being covered or when you reach that 15 years, can you do a renewal of another term life? Like how does that necessarily work per se, term life? So term life is good for um, X amount of years. You can get it for 10, 15, 20, 25, and, um, or even 30 years. So once the term is ends, so once if you get a policy, let's say $250,000 for 15 years, this um, would end at the... 15 year mark. So let's say you're a young professional and you want to get, you know, 20 years of insurance just in case, you know, something happens to you. You want to get a $500,000 policy. You have two kids and you have a mortgage that you need to be paid off just in case something happens. That's what a term insurance policy um, is most looked at for because as a young professional, you're starting out, you're making money. Um, you know, you're moving up in your company and hopefully you're saving money, you're putting money away. A lot of times people like to make more, they like to spend more, but hopefully, you know, you're being responsible with your finances. But that's what a term policy would be good for. Now, at the end of the term, you can, you know, renew the policy, but your premium is going to be higher because you're now 15 years older. So we don't know, you know, you're 35, now you're 50. So what health problems do you have now or what you know, is going on with you that's different. Um, term insurance is really interesting because after you reach a certain age, you can't get term insurance. So the only thing that you are able to get is um, whole life insurance. Um, term doesn't renew after a certain age or if you get it up to age 80. I um, mean, if you're still living after age 80, 
it will be hard for you to renew and it'll be hard for you to get coverage unless you get a death benefit of maybe, you know, final expense for about $10,000. So anything higher than that is going to be harder for you to get. So the younger you are, the more insurance you can get, but term life, I'm not going to say, you know, a lot of people push term just because they say, well, you can invest the rest, you can invest the rest. So um, how disciplined are people when it comes to money and saying invest the rest, you know? So if you're going to invest the rest, then you have to figure out what type of investments you're going to put that money in, what type of retirement account, or even if you put it in an indexed universal life insurance account and it grows at maybe six, seven, eight or nine percent, So people just have to have different avenues to grow their money. And, you know, you can use life insurance as well to grow your money if you're disciplined and you say, well, this is the avenue that I'm going to take for my finances. Got it. And in contrast with the the whole life term, I'm assuming with with whole life, you have the ability to secure that. Was it like a one time premium? So whole life, the premium is good for your entire life. If you want to get whole life, let's just take a basic whole life plan, um, not a, a UIL or index or variable or anything like that, but just a regular whole life policy. If you get something for $350,000 and you're paying $300 a month, part of that goes for for the death benefit, the other part is for the cash um, value that accumulates within the policy. So a lot of people think, well, whole life is a waste of money and people don't like to buy whole life because term is cheaper, which realistically, you know, when you're thinking about money, that's very true. And if you don't want to put $300 away, you know, in a life insurance policy, okay, but it has benefits because you can look at it as a savings account. And, you know, it's for somebody who, you know, sees the future, you know, whole life is for someone who, if they have a $350,000 policy and then it accumulates, let's say in 15, 20 years, it accumulates 50 to $70,000 cash. Well, you can withdraw the money. You can withdraw it um, two separate ways. You can withdraw it through a loan where you pay it back or you can take the money away and it decreases your death benefit. Either way, if you take out $50,000 from $350,000, you're still left with $300,000 as a death benefit to someone, which does help to create generational wealth because you're leaving this money to someone and you, and you can also put it into an account. Once, um, if you pa- once you pass, you can say the money needs to go to an annuity, they get X amount of dollars a month and then go from there. So I look at it as a win-win situation versus seeing it from a negative standpoint, because just because people say they want to get term, um, I was speaking to a funeral director about a week ago, and he was telling me that, you know, Black people get term for 30 years, pass away, and because, you know, no one knew that they had a term policy, it's already expired and then they have to figure out a different way to pay for funeral expenses or cremation expense. So um, the biggest thing is educating people on the difference between term and whole life. Got it. Real great, real great information there. Um, 
So when you look at the times now, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's something that's publicized or you see family members or friends and their family members, you see GoFundMe accounts now are used a lot to cover either burial expenses, well, it covers all kinds of stuff, right? It can cover medical expenses and any type of situation that, that's needed to raise money. I even mm-hmm. saw GoFundMe recently for someone to get back home from Atlanta from All-Star Weekend, but that's neither here or there. <laughs> right. <laughs> What's your reaction to people using GoFundMe accounts to cover funeral expenses of loved ones? Um, it's one of those things that is, it's hard to see because it's, because you don't know what they're going through financially. Mm-hmm. So either they couldn't afford the insurance or, you know, an event happened and they weren't prepared, you know, because a lot of people look at GoFundMe as this awful, sometimes they look at it as it's awful. Why are they doing this? Why do they need to be asking people for money? But oftentimes a lot of people, um, they don't plan um, and they don't think something is going to happen. And, or it's, it's just not at the forefront of their mind. A lot of times people just aren't thinking, well, this could happen or this is going to happen or um, something's gonna, going to happen. I remember seeing a GoFundMe for three children in Texas um, during the snowstorm who froze to death and mm. their parents didn't have money to bury them. So they had a GoFundMe um, account started to bury their children. So I don't look at it as a negative um, I don't look at it as something negative, uh, just because if someone needs some money, they need some money. But what I do say to people who have children or who are going through things, if you need insurance, let's take health insurance, for example. In the marketplace, um, it's based off of what you make a year. So if you're only making $25,000 a year, your insurance premium is probably going to be $0 to $140 for you to have health coverage. And then if you want to add dental, it's probably about 15 or $20. Let's take insurance on your child. Children, you know, this is the youngest they will ever be, you know, before reaching adulthood. So when you think about children or people taking insurance out on their kids, they say, well, that's horrible. That's awful. Why would you bring that up? And it's not something to be looked at as it's horrible or it's awful. It's a saving savings plan mechanism. You could um, get, you know, about $50,000 for $20 a month, whole life, because you cannot buy term insurance on children. You can only buy whole life on children. But because insurance is based off of your age and your health condition, children's insurance premiums, this is the cheapest it will ever be. And then they will have this policy for the rest of their life, and it will also accumulate cash value over time. So let's say you get $50,000 and in 10, 15 years, it accumulates $10,000, $15,000. Well, your child has access to cash. If they go to college, they'll have access to cash. If they want to start a business, they'll have access to cash. If they want to purchase a home, they will have access to cash. If they need a down payment for a vehicle, they will have access to cash. So people need to start thinking about it from a positive standpoint and not something negative. And I know we were talking about GoFundMe, but, um, and it kind of veered off to the, the life insurance aspect, but. Oh, no, no, that's great. 
that's great. Yeah, but I know I'm as I was saying, I don't I don't think GoFundMe's are bad. I mean, I know sometimes people don't have money. And a lot of times we don't have money because either we're not making enough or we're not planning correctly. So and sometimes we just don't know. I mean, a lot of us grew, grew up in homes where we don't our parents didn't talk to us about money as much as they needed to. Right. And probably because they didn't know enough about it themselves. You know, you uh, a lot of times for me growing up, all I heard was save, 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 save. Well, if all you hear is save, 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 and you don't hear invest, save to invest, save to buy a house, save to buy a rental property, if nobody breaks it down for you, then you don't know. But when you get older, you have to realize that you have to do better because there are so many different avenues and so many different ways to make money. And because our culture is changing, how people make money is changing. And because we're extremely digital now, um, you have to wonder what are the future, what are, what is our future generation going to be doing? Like, are they in school learning about how to make money or are they in school, just in school to be in school because they're in school, but they're not really learning anything. So, Mm -hmm. You know, that's the, those are the things I think about because when you think about what public education teaches you and then when you go to college, what it teaches you, you're not necessarily learning entrepreneurship. And so it might take you going to college and working different jobs like I did and figuring out, oh, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. What avenue do I take? And so if it's not something that's ingrained in you from birth to talk about money, and to be comfortable with money, um, then then you're going to have difficulties. It's like people who go from making $50,000 a year to $100,000 a year, they want to go buy a Lexus. They want to go buy a Benz. And I'm not saying you can't buy those things. I'm not saying you can't have those things. I'm not saying you can't go buy, out and buy a, new, a nice house. But you are going to get older one day. And I know people don't like to think that they're going to get older but we are going to get older. So are you putting any money aside for when you get older? And I'm not just talking about one retirement account. I'm talking about two or three different ways to make your money grow for you. Mm. Yeah, that's true. You mentioned always hearing the word save, save, save. Even if I learned about two words, interest rate, I'll probably mm-hmm. be in a better position. <laughs> right, yeah. And I learned the hard way, like, what exactly does what interest mean? Like, what? <laughs> that, I mean, that is so true because we, we don't know. And if you have a 600 credit score and, and you get, you take out a loan for $10,000 and they want to tack on 17%, but mm. well, you're like, you're paying more in interest, you know, than for the loan. I mean, the interest could be $200 and then, your payment could be 250 275 300 but interest ate up your payment mostly cuz it's $200 in interest and then you're only putting 100 towards the loan so you know right. you just you just want people to look at it differently and see it differently or just understand what credit really is so right especially yeah. when you and i know it was i don't know if it was as popular now but i remember growing up i was always here about payday advances or payday loans. 
Mm-hmm. And I remember looking at the interest rates for those, and it's like, oh man, you expect to pay that back? Right, and and it's crazy, and you know, people get there's. I mean, they're still around. I mean, even down here in Columbia, um, I'm driving around Columbia, and I'll see the buildings, you know. And, and if people are having hard times, they'll go there, and then it's like, but are you able to repay that money? You know, so. People talk about, well, I don't know how to budget or finance, or it's hard or it's difficult. And I'm not saying it isn't, but at some point in your life, the light bulb has to go off. It has to click and you have to realize, I need to do better for myself, my family, my children, or whoever. Um, Just because you don't want to live a life of just constantly being in debt or having to pay money back. Now, student loans are different. You know, if you go to college and and you want to pay, you know, and well, we have to pay those back, but um, you go to college and you you want to invest in education, you know, it's, it is different. But if people, you know, let's say our generation parents coming up now with their kids, um, you know, don't wait till they are 18 to say, how are we going to pay for college? Mm-hmm. I remember being in school. My mother is a guidance counselor and she was my guidance counselor back in from 2003 is when I think I started high school and I graduated in 2006 or 2002, somewhere in there. But anyways, she um, well, she's a guidance counselor at Rock Hill High School and we would always talk about, as I got older, once I graduated from school, we talked about parents who would bring their kids in and say, well, I can't afford college. So then what other avenues can you take if you can't afford USC or Clemson? Like, let's say a child has the grades and they, they can get into an A1 school. You know, do you take out loans or can you possibly get scholarships? You know, but I say to parents now, especially parents our age, don't wait till your child is 18 to think about how you're going to pay for school. You know, think about it now. Like even if you put $20 a month away, $30 a month away, $50 a month away, um, just to say we have a college fund started because inflation is real. (laughs) Um, You know, college... College is, uh, the expense is, is high and it's going to continue to rise. Um, and it, it's not going to go, go back down. It's going to continue to rise. And then you're going to have schools um, with less students because they can't afford to go to school or they don't have the grades to get in school. Right. A lot of gems being dropped on that life insurance aspect of it. Now we're going to switch to car insurance. Okay. And I smile because I just recently saved money on my car insurance by staying with Geico. But <laughs> right. We'll <laughs> talk about that later. Um, so I found this pioneering study conducted by the Consumer Federation of America back in 2015. And they found that good drivers who live in African-American neighborhoods are charged much more than drivers who live in white communities. Drivers who live in these communities are on average quoted premiums that are 70% more expensive than premiums for drivers who live in white communities. Mm -hmm. An average of $438 per year more. Mm -hmm. 
The reason why it's interesting because I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina now. I grew up in the Charleston area, particularly in Hugie, South Carolina, which is in the Berkeley County of the Tri-County area of Charleston. Mm-hmm. For the most part, I've been still using that zip code back in Hugie. And I've had I've been paying on my own car insurance since maybe 2012. I was like, what, maybe 23, something like on those lines. Well, insurance slowly started going up higher and higher. That whole myth, I don't want to say it's a myth. I don't want to be rude. That whole line about once you turn 25, it gets cheaper. It didn't happen for me. Kept seeing it going up and up. and I moved up here in this area, I literally saved money from paying $116 a month to $38 a month. Oh, wow. So my first reaction was, this can't be real, to be honest. It's like, this can't be real. Mm-hmm. Checking, checking my coverage. My coverage is exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking like, how much was the premium? It was like a $400 savings on my premium based on the zip code that I'm in now. And I'm in the Raleigh area. Um, I'm actually in Cary. And I can, I, I'm still learning the area, but I can tell you, I have a, a bit of a white population compared to my old zip code, my hometown, which is like 90% black. Mm-hmm. When I saw those statistics of an average of $438 more, and I saved for $400, that blew my mind a little bit. Oh yeah, um, insurance is uh, is based off of your area code. I'm, I'm sorry, not your area code, your zip code. <laughs> it is <It's> definitely <laughs> based off of your zip code. Um, I tell clients all the time, even potential clients. I had a gentleman um, I was quoting for last week. He's with USAA, and he felt he was paying too much, um, but I had to explain to him. I said, "You have a 17 year old driving." So when you have a 17-year-old driving, because he's 40, his wife is 41, they have a 17-year-old. I said, when you have a 17-year-old driving, you have to understand children are going to get into accidents. And insurance companies know this. They're going to charge you more because they know that this could happen. Because Mm -hmm. kids like to have other kids in the car. They like to have their phones. They like to have music playing. They like the speed too. They they might get some tickets here and there. So they have to account for that. So I told him that. And so as I was trying to find him something cheaper, because he was with USAA, he was paying about um, 3,800 a year. So he had had some tickets. Well, his, Mm -hmm. his, his child got in an accident last year. And I told him, I said, there's no way I'm going to be able to beat USAA. You're going to have to stay with them because any other insurance company, once you run a motor vehicle report and they pull up your accident history, they are going to charge you a higher premium because you are now a liability. You're already a liability, but because you've been in an accident or had several tickets, you're even more of a liability than you previously were without those tickets. So, yes. Area code, not area because I'm sorry, zip codes Mm -hmm. do have um, a huge impact on how much you're going to pay. Let's take the Fort Mill area of South Carolina. Fort Mill is predominantly a well-to-do area. They have 
two or three high schools that do very well. Um, you know, and it's a low crime rate. It, you know, it, they don't have um, a high black population. Let's put it that way. Uh-huh. So um, I had quoted a young lady who lives in Fort Mill back in January for her car insurance. They have three vehicles and three cars. Her premium with Progressive was about $171. She had no tickets. Her husband had no tickets. They had perfect driving record. But guess where they live? In Fort Mill, which is a predominantly white area, right um, out of Charlotte. So when you live in a predominantly white area, right out of Charlotte, it's like 10, 15 minutes from Rock Hill, maybe 20, depending on traffic. Um, And then five o'clock traffic is really bad. But Depending on where you live, your zip code will determine how much you're going to pay. And then male or female, um, it always had that always has a factor as well. But your zip code definitely does play a part in the premium that you will pay um, where you live. Right. I have a question on that, but let me drop this other interesting fact I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, Hopefully things have changed since then, but I did notice that was interesting. Back in 2014, apparently the National Association of Mutual Insurance Company sent a letter to the Federal Insurance Office that in the same way that Black Americans can afford to pay more for car insurance because they spend money on their pets, toys, alcohol, tobacco, and record and recording equipment like normal businesses often do. So. <laughs> So this is actually a real article. I saw this on the website, The Balance. Mm-hmm. That actually was their response. I guess it was, you know, some editorial work or some researching done. Like, hey, why are Black Americans getting charged more? And some insurance, some car insurance companies felt because, well, they are huge consumers. If they can afford to pay for this, they can afford to pay for more car insurance. Um, that was very interesting. But what I was going to ask you was... Oftentimes, right, car insurance, we just know as as a necessity, right? It's mm-hmm. illegal to drive without car insurance. So, of course, you're not going to probably have that in your mind when you're moving somewhere, like how much my car insurance is going to cost. That might be an afterthought once you get settled or when you do the registration of your car. So what would be a good tip in, that, in regards to shopping around for car insurances? Or is it one of those things where you just have to make do for what you have and kind of based on different discounts. Like, what is a good shopping tip? I'm finding you an independent agent. Um, I'm an independent agent in, you know, Columbia, for South Carolina. Um, right now, I'm only in South Carolina. But you want to find someone who is going to have your best interest. It's about, you know, finding you the best limits of liability, but then finding it at a great rate. Like, some people only want to drive with the minimum liability limits, which is 25,000, 50,000, and 25,000. So you have bodily injury and property damage. And you know, people don't wanna pay for insurance, which I get it, because you know, if it's not less than $100 a month, you really don't wanna pay for it. And then, you know, if you get stopped or if you have speeding tickets or any type of fines, you know, that impacts how much you pay. Um, but if you have a clean driving record, when you don't have any tickets, you know, you you should still be able to get a better rate, um, male or female. 
hopefully, depending on which insurance carrier. But the carriers that I'm with, usually, you know, we can find something for someone unless what they have is just, you know, awesome and amazing. And if I can't, you know, match it or beat it, I let them know, hey, you know, nationwide, all state progressive travelers didn't come up with what we were looking for for you. Um, you know, because you can still put in the same limits of liability, um, you know, comprehension, comprehensive and collision, you know, deductible $500. But if what they currently have is still outperforming what you have, they still need to stay with what they have because that's in their best interest to stay with who they're with. It's like the gentleman I was talking about last week with his 17-year-old son, and he had an accident last year. It was still in his best interest to just stay with USAA, and I told him that. I said, we're not going to you know, write you a new policy because it's best that you stay with the insurance company that you have because if you come over here, they're going to charge you more because you already have these accidents listed on your motor vehicle uh, report. Mm-hmm. And so... What people need to do when they're shopping around is just find someone who, you know, is uh, has multiple carriers under their belt. That way they can see what is the best rate that they can find for them. I mean, and even if they need to call Geico or call Progressive or State Farm themselves, they can also do that. Um, But if you want to get personalized service, you know, with an agent and talk to them one-on-one and sit down with them for them to show you everything, um, that's also a better option. And then it just depends. Um, Different, you know, like USC has um, a rate with travelers insurance for their educators. So it just depends if you're an educator or what type of industry you're in, you can always get discounts that way through your insurance care, but it just depends on on who you work for um, in that aspect. But if you don't work for a company that deals with the insurance cares, then it's fine to just shop around and see, okay, can they offer me something with the same coverage at a better rate? Mm. Can I ask, you mentioned, of course, you don't want to, it might not be in your best interest to leave your current car insurance provider if you just had an accident on your motor vehicle report. Mm-hmm. Is there like a time frame when that that's off your report? Is that like a, or is it going to always be on your report for the most part? Um, you have to get about three to five years um, for it to not affect your motor vehicle report. I have a lady who I was going to write for in January, but it was in her best interest to stay with travelers. And I told her that I said right now she had hit she um, she had a collision with a deer back in 2020. It was in her best interest just to stay with travelers, because if you go anywhere else or you try to leave, um, they're going to pull that up on your motor vehicle report and it is going to affect your premium. So Mm. Yes. So even though the deer was in the wrong, she still got to pay for it. Yes, yes, because the insurance company had to put money. They looked at it as, oh, we still have to put money out to fix your car. So, you know, right, right. Um, and that's how they're going to look at it. They're going to look at it from that standpoint. So it, it is, you know, sometimes if you know you've gotten a ticket or if you know you've had two tickets in a year, but you don't like what you're paying, you're still going to probably want to stay. I mean, insurance, some insurance companies probably can find you. Um, better rates. You may have to wait a year after you've gotten the tickets um, and just see, just because 
rates change all the time. And a lot of people don't like that. I had a, a client back in February and she said, well, I don't like that every six months it goes up or it doesn't stay the same. And what I had to explain to her is that um, insurance rates are always going to change. Your premium is always going to go, either it's going to go up or it's going to stay the same. I said, we don't have, as an agent, I don't have control over that, but the insurance is based off of the area where you live. <clears throat> it's based off the amount of accidents within that area and insurance companies keep track of that, you know, because that's how they base their premiums, mm -hmm. um, you know, around the area where you live. So like you said, if it's a predominantly white area, it's going to be different. If it's a mixed area, you know, it's probably going to lean more to the white side and be a little bit less. But if it's a predominantly black area and they know this is a black zip code, it's going to just, it's, it's going to be a little bit higher um, just because of the statistics and, and things that happen or things that they know that could possibly happen um, in these areas. Got it. So let's talk about home insurances if we can. Mm -hmm. So when you speak about having more assets than liabilities, when I say we, is more so of this new millennial way of thinking, right? Like trying to be financially free, trying to be more financially literate. We want to have more assets and liabilities, and usually our biggest asset is our homes. Mm -hmm. Now, in regards to in regards to home ownership, usually when you're doing, a lot of people are taking advantage of these first-time home buyer programs. Mm -hmm. Very much so, yeah. Right, because you know, it's a, a huge. Like I think what uh, traditionally, conventionally, you have a twenty percent down payment, but it can be as low it's as like. I think it's as low as five. Five, okay. So, I think, yeah. So, in regards to that, for me, for your understanding, your knowledge, isn't it mandatory for homeowner insurance when you use a lot of those first-time home buyer programs? Yes, you do have to have insurance on your home um, because the mortgage company has insurable interest in your home. Um, you know, unless you have. $200,000 in the bank and you can pay cash for it um, because your mortgage company has insurable interest in that property prior to you paying that property off. Um, they're going to require that you have insurance. I'm working with a gentleman right now who's refinancing his home <clears throat> and we have to finish uh, his, his insurance uh, for his home and then he's bundling his home in his auto right now. And so once we get everything situated, uh, either this week or next week, because it has to be turned in by the 20, I have a few days still, but it's due at like March 22nd. <laughs> and um, we were talking about what he needed for his home. So um, what people, people don't like to pay extra money because you're already paying your mortgage. Your mortgage, let's say mortgage is $1,000. Um, a month. Let's say your insurance for the house is a thousand dollars for the year. So you could be paying like ninety-five dollars in premiums or a little bit less. Um, so what people don't like, they don't like to spend more money because they have to buy. They're buying their house. Uh -huh. They're paying insurance, and then they have to pay taxes on their house. But you can do all of this, um, you know, through the mortgage company. You know, the escrow can pay for it. So. What people don't like is paying extra money 
on things, but let's say you leave a candle burning or let's say you live in a flood flood prone area. Um, you need homeowner's insurance because unless, you, like I said before, you have fifty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 somewhere um, you know, to replace your belongings, um, to fix something, if a fire happens and you have to replace something, you know, these things cost money and that's where insurance comes in. It's to keep you from taking on that risk. I mean, unless you have the money. If you have money and you don't want insurance, it's like people in South Carolina. If they don't want to drive without insurance, they can pay like $600 a year. If they have a clean driving record, which I don't recommend that to anybody, but um, right. <laughs> but we did learn this in insurance school that people in South Carolina can drive around without purchasing insurance if they have a clean driving record for I think the last ten years. But I don't I don't um, recommend that to anyone just because people can't drive in the rain. So, but back to homeowners insurance. Um, I was going to say, please, people do not use your tax money to pay for six. To pay for that one time situation. I know, don't do it. Oh my goodness, no. But um, <laughs> you know, you you need homeowners insurance. I mean, unless you have, you know, like I said, twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars saved, you know, people say, Well, I don't want to pay for it, but in the event that something happens to you or something happens to your belongings, um, you know, you need to have your home insured. And it's like renter's insurance. Um, you're in an apartment building. Well, the apartment building is going to be insured by the owner, but your belongings, the owner is not insuring your belongings. So let's say you're in a three-bedroom apartment. You have three-bedroom suits. You've got den furniture. You've got kitchen furniture and whatever else in there. You know, let's say all of that adds up to $15,000. Well, if something, if the apartment complex, let's say somebody did something and the, the complex, you know, catches fire. And let's say there are sprinkler systems in your apartment complex, and then everybody's sprinkler system goes off. Well, your furniture and stuff is ruined. So how are you going to pay for that? You know, or or is the apartment complex going to pay for that? You know, and those are things you have to talk to them about as well. Okay, if something happens and then these go off, are you paying for it or am I paying for it? So it's just different things that people have to think about and consider when it comes to insurance. And another thing is people, you know, they want to pay off their house and then they don't want to carry insurance. Well, inflation is always on the rise. Um, You know, 20 years ago, you could get a house for $100,000. In Columbia, South Carolina, you cannot find a house for $100,000 unless it is foreclosed, it is extremely old and run down, and it needs a lot of work, or it's in an old, old neighborhood. Um, Most houses in this area start off at $200,000, which means inflation is on the rise. So if you buy a house at $200,000, you can expect in the next 10, 15 to 20 years for that house to increase, you know, 50, 60, $70,000. So with replacement costs going up, you know, you're going to need insurance coverage in case something happens to your home. Right. So 
after you pay your house off, you pay your mortgage off, excuse me, is it still mandated for you to have insurance? Of course, I know it would be your best interest to have um, homeowner's insurance even after the mortgage, but is it mandated? No, it's not mandated. So it's it's not because once the um, mortgage has been paid, it's been paid in full, the insurable interest um, from the lender is no longer there. So they don't have an interest in the home because you paid it off. Now, if you have something, let's say you take out another type of loan on the house through a bank or a credit union, they may require you to have you know, insurance. Let's say you want to fix the house up and you take out $50,000 to fix your house up. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, you know, after you've paid it off, but you want to make some updates, they'll probably say, okay, we're going to require you to have this because if something happens, you know, we need to make sure that we can get our money from you. So um, I, I just tell everyone, regardless of if you paid your house off, if you're not paying your house off, you still want to have insurance on your home because it's one of your greatest investments. So, and, and, you, and you need that coverage. Absolutely. Speaking of needing that coverage, good segue, Christina. (laughs) When it comes to national disasters, right, every region has their own national disaster that comes by, like, Mm -hmm. in a seasonal standpoint. Us being in the southeast, we're definitely no stranger to hurricanes. Oh, yeah. And you mentioned on Instagram that that you may not be fully covered by your home insurance when you experience hurricane damage. Mm -hmm. Well, what was the reasoning behind that post? Um, what do you mean by that? Okay, so homeowner's insurance doesn't automatically come with flood insurance. It's an endorsement. Um, so you can, it like home in, homeowner's insurance doesn't come with theft protection. Um, it doesn't come with like burglary or anything like that. Anything like that, uh, let's say somebody breaks into your home and steals your jewelry. Um, you can also have like a personal articles floater. So let's say somebody breaks into your house and steals your jewelry. Well, if you have a valuable that's worth $25,000 and you never tell the insurance company or you never tell you know, your agent and you've had this appraised and it was worth this, well, nobody's going to replace it for you because you didn't have it written down. Same thing with flood insurance. If you're in a flood prone area, you're going to have to have flood insurance. Anybody along the coast of South Carolina, the coast of Charleston, they have to have flood insurance because mm-hmm. it's, it's a very high risk, um, you know, that something could happen. A, a hurricane could happen. You know, hurricane season is what, August, September, October, November. So you have to have flood insurance, especially if you live along the coast. And people who live in Florida, they're going to have to have, ooh, but you know, along the coast, you do have to have flood insurance just because it is a high, high risk. So, Right. And I actually learned that several years ago. One of my last jobs when I was staying in Florence, South Carolina, I actually took calls um, with a contract with Wells Fargo in terms of mortgage insurance. Mm-hmm. And I actually learned that because I believe you have, you know, you learn about the different dwellings and you learn about um, rain insurance. And I remember, I just remember the point where we got up to flood insurance, how that was an automatic. And us in the class, we couldn't understand that at first. It was like, well, shouldn't that be automatic that if a hurricane comes, flooding is, but we didn't know that. And if we didn't know that, 
as someone is working to take calls for Wells Fargo for home insurance, I can imagine the residents, right? Like the homeowners. Mm-hmm. A lot of them, if they're not paying attention, they might not know. It. I actually had some coworkers that experienced that um, because I believe, I forgot what year it was, but Florence got hit hard with this hurricane and went through the Southeast. Mm-hmm. And it was like non-power for some people for like a good week because mm-hmm. it was like flooding and happening. I think in Marion and carried over to Florence. And one, one of the security guards, he mentioned that because he didn't have flood insurance, that's why he still had to come off come out pocket for some damages that he experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't, I guess he, I guess he was painted for so long, he never had a, a situation like that. He didn't think to really look to see right. blood insurance, right? That, I'm sure that mm-hmm. happens, it's just in the back of your mind. Um, but great, great stuff to think about. And you mentioned right. it prior, but I don't know, did you want to elaborate more on that or? No, I was just going to say is like when you're looking for anybody listening, when you're looking to purchase a home, you know, always look up in the area. Is this a flood, a flood prone area? Um, just so that, you know, like here in South, in, in Columbia, the flood happened, what, 2016, I think it was down in or whatever the year it was, the big flood here in Columbia. So. You know, if you live, you know, in low levels, you know, just check it out. Make sure, you know, before, you know, you purchase a home, has it had flood damage? You know, always check that out. But especially along the coast, Florence, you know, Charleston, Myrtle Beach, you're going to need to have flood insurance. And if you think you may need flood insurance, ask an agent so they can guide you through the process of flood insurance. Mm. Great, great takeaways. And last but not least, even though you did touch on it a little bit, was renter's insurance. Mm-hmm. So according to a 2019 survey by Apartment List, 12.3% of millennials don't expect to ever own a home, which is higher than 10.7% back in 2018. So even though the need for renter's insurance is, is clear, right? Because like that statistic is slowly going that where millennials are more comfortable renting than taking on the expense of a home. Despite its affordability, it seems to be the most overlooked insurance. Why do you feel that renter's insurance is so overlooked? Um, I think people just think they don't need it. <laughs> and um, I think the mindset is, well, nothing's going to happen. Um, and they think that because I'm assuming the, the square feet is smaller, it's not a home, or maybe because they feel the apartment complex is going to take care of it. I think it has to do with education mm-hmm. um, as far as understanding why you need renter's insurance. Renter's ins- I um, did renter's insurance back in November. Um, the first policy I wrote was renter's insurance. It was for $170 for the year, about $14 a month. So it is on the cheaper end, you know, and you can get... Um, the same coverage is for a home, but it's just through an apartment, but it covers your belongings. Why someone wouldn't want to cover their belongings? I don't know. <laughs> I do not I, I for I do not know why someone would, you know, say I don't need insurance because um, you know, things do happen. Life does happen. Um, you know, something could happen, but a lot of people think that they don't need um, 
renter's insurance or they don't need to, you know, have their belongings covered when in reality, you know, you don't know what could happen. You could go on vacation and something could happen to your apartment complex that causes you to lose out on a few thousand dollars worth of things. And then if you don't have the money to replace it, what are you going to do? So it's always thinking about if something happens, even though people aren't necessarily in the mindset to think about, well, what if something happens? Um, But you always have to be thinking about if something does happen, am I prepared for this loss? And if I'm not prepared for this loss, what do I have in place to help me pay for this loss? So insurance comes in and it takes the risk off your shoulders and places it on the insurance company. So if you do have a loss, you can file your claim and they will pay for your belongings. But if you don't have anything, then you're going to have to pay for it. So it it, it just comes in. Are you financially prepared to rebuy furniture? Are you prepared to, you know, buy a new bedroom set, um, den furniture, kitchen furniture, everything that you currently have, all of your belongings. So it's, it's just thinking about it from that that aspect. Mm. And one that I noticed up here, and this is my second complex in the Raleigh area, they actually, um, <laughs> when you sign a lease, they are requiring you to have renters insurance. Mm-hmm. And I believe as long as it covers, I think it's as long as it covers a minimum of 20000 or something like that. I forgot the, the exact value, but um, a lot of apartment complexes are getting more into that now where it's requiring um, their residents or their tenants to actually have renters insurance. And it's it's really cheap. I was able to meet my my minimum $10 a month. So it really is very affordable for everyone mm-hmm. out there. And um, I saw one example online as, as I was researching this. And I think also the benefits of renters insurance, other than, of course, covering your, your belongings, is not publicized as much. Because I've, I've seen a case online where I guess it was like a fire that transpired in the building. Mm-hmm. And because that particular tenant had renters insurance, it actually covered a short term stay to the hotel while the repairs was needed. Is that? Something you heard of, like in one one situation where you can actually get hotel stay covered, kind of like how rental cars do until repair is done? Yes. So um, that coverage on your insurance. So homeowners insurance has, um, even with renters, it has six coverages. It has coverage A, which is your dwelling, coverage B, which is other structures, coverage C, which is personal property, D, loss of use, E, personal liability, and then F is medical payments to others. So in the event, um, coverage D, loss of use, if you cannot, um, you know, stay at your home or stay somewhere, um, then you, the, the insurance company will pay for a certain amount of time for you to stay in a hotel um, and they'll pay for your food as well. Uh, while you're going through this, just to make sure you're okay in the event that this type of loss does occur to you. Yes, they, they will cover you through that. As long as this, and it should, it's, in South Carolina, that's one of the main coverages. So um, A, B, C, D, E, and F, 
you do need to make sure all of that is on your um, homeowner's insurance when you're sitting down reading through it with your agent just to make sure you're covered. And then if you have like personal property or personal articles that are valuable and you also want to get that covered, you need to have everything listed in the policy that, so that the insurance company knows, hey, we have this, this is how much it's been appraised for. Um, that way they know when it's, if something were to happen, you'll know as well that it can be replaced. Right. And my listeners out there, please do not commit insurance fraud. If you do not have a big screen TV, do not lie and say you had a big screen TV. Um, <laughs> keep it honest, please. Yes. <laughs> so, so that if your insurance company finds out, they, they will drop you. <laughs> yes. Just, just keep it honest. Don't, don't let them sitcoms fool you that we laughed at. Keep it honest. And so a lot of information that we broke down this episode. So the only thing left to do is to tell the people, how can they reach you? Yeah, so if you live in um, South Carolina, my name is Christina Jackson and my telephone number is 803-850-0054, extension four. Um, my cell number is 803-367-3035. My Instagram link is SC uh, underscore insurance professional. Um, and you'll and you can find me um, once you see it, you'll see like lavender everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is very purple, uh, but mostly lavender. So you'll see that um, if you're looking for me on Facebook, it's Christina Jackson. And my email is Christina, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A, at Higgins, H-I-G-G-I-N-S, and A-N-D, Halloran, H-A-L-L-O-R-A-N, dot C-O-M. So if you have any further questions, need any assistance, um, my office hours are Monday through Friday from... 11 to 6. Saturday is by appointment, usually 10 to 2, um, if you need any help with anything. So just let me know. 